I have a message today. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and he said, you know, in my church, the pastor, he just downloads sermons from sermoncentral.com. I said, really? I said, well, we're a little bit different here. I said, I actually asked the Lord to give me something to say. Uh, maybe that's really a tradition. I mean, and I, I did that. I came home on, on, on Saturday and on Wednesday night and I said, Lord, please give me something to say to the people. Because I've been away for many weeks. Pastor Nathan is our lead pastor. And I had nothing. And I woke up Thursday morning and I felt in my heart to speak about peace. Not world peace, even though that's important. I believe I'm speaking to people today who maybe are wrestling. You're in turmoil. I'm speaking about that many people in our society feel like their whole world is being threatened. You know, I talk to young people, young married couples who say, we don't want to have kids because the world is such an uncertain place. I, I, I feel there's so many questions. You know, so many things can rock your peace. It could be a doctor's statement. It could be financial crisis. It could be just that the kids are screaming. It could be some bad news. Somebody passed away in the family. And so God has something to say. I'm going to read from Isaiah 26, 3, where it says, you, referring to God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's quite a promise. Perfect peace. You know, the word in Hebrew for peace is shalom. And we, we greet people, shalom, shalom in Israel. And some people do it elsewhere also. Uh, but, but the word shalom means so much more than a greeting. It means fulfillment. It means completion. It means all is well. It's, it's like a word used in an orchestra where all the instruments are in harmony playing together. Shalom means your life is in harmony. Your life is good. There is absence of fear. And the Bible actually talks about a shalom, a peace that passes all understanding, meaning that things according to your understanding should be very stressful, but you have peace. Jesus said it this way. My peace I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So this is a different kind of peace. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So that means that there is a, there's a choice. Uh, when the storm is blowing, we can let ourselves get into fear. We can get a, let ourselves be troubled and in turmoil. But don't let it happen. Because there is a peace, and Jesus says, I give you my peace. So here's how we look at it. You know, peace is not about, the kind of peace I'm talking about, is not about what or how, but about who. See, most of the time when we think about peace, we think of, well, there's circumstances. You know, what's going on in my life? I don't know how to deal with this. So a lot of what we think has to do with peace has to do with, you know, here's what I'm facing. Here's what's going on. It's about what and it's about how. But here it says it's about who. You know, it said it three times. You will keep him in perfect 
peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So the you is there three times and it's saying your peace can be wrapped up in a peace that goes beyond mental understanding. It is the peace of God in your heart. So if, 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 if it's circumstances, if it's how or what, then you need a formula. You need a guru. You need, you need a five-point plan, but I'm saying that there is a peace that Jesus Christ has promised that permeates everything, including your circumstances, and it is the peace of God. And I'm talking about to somebody here today who maybe you are in turmoil. See, I put it this way. The Bible is not a prescription. We, we think it's a prescription. It's like Here's five things you have to do. The Bible really is a description of a relationship between God and people. You know, the, the name Israel in Hebrew actually means struggle with God. That means if you are facing all kinds of struggles, your mind is in struggle, you have doubts, you have fears, you have all those things going on, you can still have peace in God. This is very, by the way, it's very intimate. As, our, as Mr. Saunders said here about moms, you know, uh, most people have a good relationship with their mom. It would be very unusual not to. And one of the reasons is because you come from your mom. Come on now. You come from your mom. You come from her womb. So it's a, it would be natural if there's a closeness. Well, I got news for you. You come from God. You were made in the image of God. So if God is some far away, distant, remote, faceless judge, then I'm afraid to say you believe in a God that doesn't exist. That far away God is a figment of people's imagination. God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, God, you know, see, the, the darkened mind makes God into this unapproachable being that has strict conditions imposed while the Bible tells us the opposite. That's why we love the word covenant. Everybody say covenant. covenant. And you know, when we talk about Jesus shedding his blood, I mean, what is a greater act of commitment than shedding blood? And so God has made a covenant with us. God is full of love, but what we have done, we have made it into a contract. People look at, the, at God as having a contract and there's fine print and you got to do this and you got to do that. And if you don't live up to this and if you don't live up to that, then, you know, God's not going to accept you. God is not a God of a contractual agreement. God is a God of a covenant and he loves you. Let's say that God is love. Do, do you know that's very profound? I don't know any religion in the world that says it like that, God is love. In fact, in the Bible, it's the last writer of the Bible. The one who could read all the other material in the Bible is the last writer, John. He says it right out. He says it succinctly. God is love. And God has shown his love to us by sending Jesus Christ that we might live through him. So the face of God is Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus, you see him full of love. That is who God is. And that is the reason why we have peace with God. That's the reason for the peace. Now, now notice... I'll let you clap if you want to, but, 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 but notice the phrase, whose mind is stayed on you. 
You know, sometimes in our Bible, we use these old English words that people don't know. What does it mean to be stayed? Well, you've heard about a stayed execution, but I'm not going to go into that, but there's other words. Let me say what it means. In, in old English, to be stayed means to be fixed, to be locked into. You're locked into something. So, for example, they used to talk about probably not in the building code today, that a building had to be stayed. That means that the, the walls and the structure was locked into the foundation. And once it was locked into the foundation, the building was stayed. Now, you know, tying up, Every year she has a little kitchen garden in her backyard, and, and I like her tomatoes. I don't really like tomatoes normally, but our tomatoes are the best. I eat them with great reverence every fall, and slicing them up, enjoying the texture. And I notice she has planted tomatoes again, and, and so she has this um, trellis. You can tell I, I'm not the gardener, and she puts the plant in there, and what happens is the tomato plant locks into the trellis. So they kind of are there together. The one is holding up the other. So, so to be stayed is to exchange strength. It's an exchange of strength. Uh, and, and so here, here's the gospel. Are you ready for this? Come on, you're a little quiet now. No, you don't have to behave that well for the future mayor. <laughs> are you still out there? Come on. And, and so here is the gospel that God has locked himself into humankind through Jesus Christ. God, through the womb of Mary, locked himself into humanity with all the junk and all the fear and all the shame and all the oppression and all the injustice to bring a solution. So God is committed to humanity. And our response is to say, if God is locked into me, I'm going to be locked into God. My mind it's going to be stayed on God. Now, what, what could disturb our peace? Well, one would be not accepting God's peace, saying, ah, you're just talking. This doesn't work in the real world. Oh, no, that doesn't work. You see, when we think about sin, people think about murder, adultery, stealing, lying. Of course, all those are terrible sins. But according to the Bible, the heart of sin is really to refuse God's gift. It's to create your own system, often a religious system of various rules that you're trying to follow to just self-improve, to make your, your life good. It's like, it's like God is like a rocket booster. He put you out there and now you're on your own. I'm going to make it happen for myself. And often that leads to people looking for peace in all kinds of even addictive behaviors. So I'm saying to you, accept the peace of God. Another, another reason why people don't have peace is because they have a twisted view of God. This goes for secular society. This goes for church. You know, some people in church are very miserable. Don't look at your neighbor. I, I mean, some Christians I meet are really stressful, miserable people. And what are they stressed about? Their religion makes them stressed. I mean, you should come to church and Feel, listen to Pastor Nathan preach and myself preach. I hope you're feeling better when you go home. But you can go to some place and, and, and people get so nervous. 
And they're told the whole time, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. You know, I wish I could do better. Because they have this view of God that God is this scrutinizing, angry, condemning, vindictive person. And for some people in secular society, I want nothing to do with church. Because they were raised with this image of God that God is out to get you. God's got your number. God's going to nail you. So they want to rather, I suppose, hide from God. They're saying, well, I, I'm just going to hide from God. You, you see, if you hide from God, if you find yourself hiding from God, you know what you're actually doing? You're hiding from an imposter. Because that God you're hiding from doesn't even exist. I say this, the, 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 the God that people hide from or reject doesn't exist. That's just a hideous misinformation. And it happens. You know, Adam, the first story in the Bible is about Adam. He messed up. And what did he do? He went and hid himself. Why did he hide? I was afraid. What are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of God. See, it wasn't just that he, I don't think it was an apple, probably a mango. I don't know what it was. He bit into that. That's not the point. Now, he, he, he bit into a hideous misrepresentation of God. Suddenly it got into his mind. God is going to get me. God was there. The story is very clear. God was there. And God is there for you and your family. God wanted to love on Adam. He wanted to receive him. God wasn't hiding. He was there. Adam was hiding because he had, in his mind, this darkened idea had come in that God is out to get me. God is going to nail me. He's going to punish me. Because in, in, in religion, we think if I do wrong, God's attitude changes. You know, I know kind of God loves me, but if I do wrong, his attitude changes. No, God is unchangeable. Don't think that the wrong you did has changed God one iota. He loves you just as much in your worst moment as in your best moment. Nothing can separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. Nothing. You see, because you do wrong, God doesn't go from being loving to this monster. No. He's got your back. God is for you. He's, he wants the best for you. So, so that's one way people have their mind disturbed, but then futile imaginations. You know, imagination. Think about all the daydreaming we do. You know, the imagination is really, you could say, it's where life is constructed. It's where you put together things. You know, think about the, it's like when you mold and shape something. So in your imagination, that's where the lack of peace is. You know, it's like a like a tailor, he, 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 he visions the suit, the dress, and, and, and designs it. He, he, uh, a carpenter, he thinks about how the wood is going to be put together. A, a poet with words, he's molding sentences. And, 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 you know, our imagination is like the parameter where we, where we mold our life. And, and uh, we have challenges, and we are rehashing things. And, and, I know you've never done this. Somebody did you wrong and you go over the same thing again and again. It's like running the same movie from 1935 every day over and over. And in your mind, it's just as fresh as when it first happened. Come on now. And, 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 and your mind can go to a dark spot. 
I notice nobody is saying hallelujah at this point, but, but I just assume you're still awake. Pride comes in. I want to tell them if I have them, I'll do this. And if he does that, I'll do that. And you feel exhausted. It's funny how the, how the imagination works. Have you ever noticed that suddenly if you're having a positive imagination, you start laughing all by yourself? You just notice I'm, I'm smiling. <laughs> Nobody here to smile too. It's just me smiling uh, because you, your body kind of reacts to what you're imagining. You can also have your heart starts racing. You can start sweating. You start perspiring and, and you're not doing anything, but you're just imagining yourself running from some danger or something. So, so you know, it's a very real thing. And the Bible talks about uh, futile imaginations. Oh, come on now. It says like this. People became futile in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man. Futile. It's futile imagination. That means circular thoughts. You're just going over the same thing. Have you noticed it doesn't produce anything? And it disturbs your peace. It makes you upset. You can't sleep. And your mind is going around and around. And it says their minds were darkened. And how was it darkened? It's a very interesting expression. It says they changed the glory of the incorruptible God. So God is incorruptible into an image made like a corruptible man. Now, uh, how many can say we don't want corruption in City Hall or in any government? How many want a corruption-free government? Come on, come on. And, and we, believe, we will believe we'll have that. I'm just saying we know what corruption is, is bribery. It's undue influence. It's improper influence. And here it says that people make God into a corruptible being. Now, that sounds strange. But I propose to you, that's what much of religion does. We turn God into a corruptible being. So we say, well, I'm going to pull my strings with God. So if I just do enough offering, if I pray enough, if I'm good enough, hey, they'll, they'll pull some strings. That they'll get God on my side. So we have reduced the incorruptible God into corrupt in a religious way. We, you know, we can kind of, we can kind of convince God to do this or that. So, so God, I'd say, designed in our image, it makes God look corruptible, vindictive, small. You can pay him off. And ultimately, you know, people run from that kind of a God. Who wants a God like that? But I say to you, that's a mischaracterization that ruins our mind. I say we can, we can make a God, uh, we can make God into an idol of stone, or an idol of our imagination. We, we just imagine a certain thing, and, and, and that God doesn't exist except in our mind. So I want to tell you today, for peace of mind, God is incorruptible. There's nothing you can do to corrupt God's thinking about you, and he proved it by sending Jesus Christ. So whatever happened, whatever failure you did or whatever good you think you have done, whatever good you have accomplished, you say, well, this is going to get God on my side. God 
is steady. God is a rock. God is immovable. And he has decided once and for all, he is on your side. And he proved that by sending Jesus Christ that you would live through him. So come on, let's get excited about that. <laughs> but that's an interesting thing. And so when God is that way, your mind is a touch. Your well-being is not there. Your futile imaginations, your head spinning with ideas, and, and, and you don't feel good. There's a, there's a man in the Bible like that. It says, his name was Job. He says, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. He said, the very thing that I was having all these futile imaginations, I was imagining this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And, and he said, what I dreaded, that means his imagination was engaged. What I dreaded has happened to me. He said, I'm not at ease. I'm not quiet. I have no rest. I, I, I'm, I'm the opposite of shalom. I have no rest. I have no peace. And troubles are coming. So here you have a man who is not in peace. And what does it start? His imagination. So it brings destruction. So what's the answer to this? Well, you could go to a psychologist to get an answer. You could go to a, a bookstore to get a book as an answer. You could get all kinds of answers. And now what I'm doing here and what we do is we preach Jesus Christ. We say he's for the world. You know, I was just in Africa, so we had our regular customary dinner. I had a large delegation of Muslims. We had Hindu leaders. We have politicians there. We had bishops and pastors. And we always say, we, we preach Christ. I don't hide what I believe. I don't compromise what I believe. I don't ask them to compromise what, what they believe. But we unashamedly say Jesus Christ is the answer. And in this context, go ahead and clap if you want to. I say Christ is our peace. He's our peace. It says in Ephesians 2.14, he himself is our peace. Isaiah prophesied that when Jesus comes, he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. So here's our peace. I may sound, you say, well, I need ideas. I need concepts. Well, I, I say it like this. Jesus came for our sins and for our screwed up imagination. Because our imagination can get screwed up. And Jesus came for that. Because if you ask Christy, you say, why did Jesus have to come? Well, he came to die on the cross for my sins. And, uh, yeah, that's true. But that is only one part of the answer. He came because we weren't thinking right about God. It was much more than just pardoning. It was like Jesus entered the darkened minds, the twisted ideas, the jungle of lies in people's head. If I could just use a little bit of freedom in this, it's almost like God the Father said, Jesus, you know, those folks down there, they don't know us. They don't know who we are. They got their own ideas and I guess they can't understand it. But he said, son, 
Jesus, I want you to go down there and I want you to enter into their twisted world. I want you to see the world through their eyes. I, I, I want you to go down there and, and, and demonstrate yourself as, as that we are with them. You are Emmanuel, God with them. And then when you have done that, bring all of them home to Papa. Hallelujah. Bring them home to the Father. And so Jesus came inside depravity. He came inside anxiety and stress. He came inside a world that was so flawed with injustice. He was betrayed for, by a friend, supposedly for 30 silver coins. I mean, how low is that? That's all you're worth. 30 silver coins. That's all I need. And you, you, can, you can have them. He was betrayed by a kiss. I mean, I think if I was going to be betrayed, I'd rather be uh, betrayed by a punch in the face. I mean, at least you can see it coming. And it's kind of a brutal honesty about it. This guy's coming for me. But a kiss and then a knife in the back, I, I, I think that's pretty low. Come on. That, that's, that's, that's the kind of what, what Jesus entered into. Why? Because that is the world we live in. Every kind of abuse that you can find in Toronto, Jesus endured its sorrow. He was hung naked. You can imagine the sexual harassment, the, the mockery, the laughter. And he took our sins. He, he claimed them. He claimed them. He said, I, I'm taking the sins of the world. And he let sin, whose wage is death, exhaust itself in him. I just said something pretty profound. I said he allowed the depravity of sin to be exhausted in him. That's the gospel. He took your name to the cross. He took your name and all the pain and anything bad or good, he took it with him and he rose again to give you new life. Oh, this is good news. He is our peace. Sometimes, you know, we don't get this because, <laughs> I, I, you know, when you go to the doctor, Sometimes nowadays it's hard to even get a, you call, you, nobody will even answer. How many have experienced that? I'm not picking on City Hall. This is a provincial matter. So, 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 Mr. Saunders, you can relax. I'm talking about health care right now. But, you know, I, I remember I've gone and sit there and wait and magazines from five years ago that everybody has smudged over. And, and you're saying, oh, he's, he's busy, probably out golfing. I, I don't know, but he, he got late. And, and so you're there, right? And then finally, you get to see the doctor. And, uh, and now, when the doctor then walks into the room, you don't think like, okay, now all my problems are solved. The doctor is here. Oh, that, now, now I'm doing good. No, what you're waiting for is that little white piece of paper with a prescription. First, you hope that he listens to you a little bit, or she, as it may be. And, and, and then you get this piece of paper and you're like holding on to this piece of paper. What am I supposed to do with this? And he's scribbling something. I hope, I hope the pharmacist can read this. And it's something about to do this morning and night and don't mix it with this and that and do it for 30 days. Make sure the bottle is finished. Do, 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 do. You say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do all this. You're writing all this. Yeah, I got to do that. You tell your spouse, what I got to do, help me to remember all this. Because you're, in your mind, the solution is that you got to follow the prescription. Are you with me? Whatever I said, that that's my hope. I'm pinning my hope on this. Not, not the guy in the white suit. 
It's what he put on the paper. That's what I'm pinning it on. <laughs> you see, when it comes to God, this is the awesome enough. Jesus said, my peace I give you. So when it comes to God, we kind of expect a little similar. Say, well, you know, I want to go to church and I'm going to get some how-to tips from Pastor Peter or Pastor Nathan. They're going to give me five good points on how to be in peace, count to ten, breathe deeply for five minutes, read a scripture verse, sing a song. You know, you're going to get, you're kind of waiting for the prescription. And, and, and people love when the preacher gives them a prescription. If it's five steps, they're good. But if, you, if it's seven, it's even better. Make it 10 steps. Keep it so complicated that I'm sure to fail. No, I mean, people like that. They're looking for the prescription. But hear me. Are you you listening? When it comes to Jesus Christ, that normal modus operandus does not hold true. You're not here for a fix or a how-to session. You can go to the bookstore and buy one of those. Here is the truth. Jesus himself is our peace. When he walks into the room, he did what no doctor would do. He assumed the disease. He took our fears. He took our shame. He took our guilt, all the things that humans around the world are plagued with. He took it upon himself. He is the source of recovery. If anybody comes to me, he says. He doesn't say anybody who comes to to a church and get the prescription. He doesn't even say anybody who comes and reads the Bible. He says, whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So, you see... When Paul the Apostle preached like this, and I take comfort for this, he was preaching like this, I think it was in Athens. People say, oh, he's a blabber. Can you imagine that? The greatest theologian of the Christian faith, they call him a blabbermouth. What's he blubbering about? Jesus Christ. We need real solutions here. (laughs) And so, this is the gospel that has transformed hundreds of millions of lives. You come to him. His arms are wide open to you. If your mama doesn't want you, your papa doesn't want you, maybe you've been really bad, I don't know. But God's hands are extended to you. You're welcome. And by grace, I say to you, you're welcome to this church. You're welcome to this spiritual family. You're not an outsider. You're an insider. You belong. You belong in God's family. When all the people said about that guy who was kind of the mafia boss of Jericho, his name is Zacchaeus, he said, he's an outsider. He's an outsider. No, Jesus said, he is also a son of the covenant. He is Abraham's son. You say he's an outsider? No, he's an insider. He belongs with me. I heard that hallelujah way over there. God bless you, whoever you are. Now you know, okay, I'm landing the plane. Are you with me? We're just circling the airport. Soon I'm touching ground here. Uh, you, you know, there's a, this dramatic story. Uh, they are in a storm, in a storm. And uh, they're fearing for their lives. Jesus is there with the disciples. What are the disciples doing? They're praying like good Christians. What's Jesus doing? He's asleep. He's asleep. It's really in the Bible. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. He's asleep and they are praying. And they shake him. And he said, what's wrong with you? 
What's wrong? We're going to die. Well, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? See, Jesus shows us a different paradigm. I put it this way. The mind of Christ, which is exemplified in that story, is the mind that interprets life in the light of God's unfailing love. Think about that. Stuff happens in your circumstances. Stuff happens that would shake your peace. But the mind of Christ says, this is going to be all right. God hasn't left you. Don't let your mind be carried away with all of those things. No, Christ is your peace. I read it again. Christ himself is our peace who has broken down the middle wall of separation so as to create in himself one new man and so making peace. You know, there's peace between you and God. And that's the reason why you can have peace with other people. Because if God has been so good to you, if God has been so good to me, why should I hold a grudge? Why, why should I hold someone kind of at the edge and say, I don't, no, no. God has been so good to me. He's given me peace so I can have peace with others. And I can have peace in my own heart. All right, well, I tried to preach as fast as I could here today. Did I do any good? Let me know. And, and, and so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let's just pray right now. Father, I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know every person that's here. You know every life, every heart. You know every situation. And I ask you, Lord, that you will do what my words can't do, but uh, you touch every heart. And let something that is profoundly meaningful now and forever happen in people's hearts. If you would bow your heads all over this room, and I want to just ask you a question. There's no way I can talk like this for 35, 40 minutes without giving you an opportunity to respond. So maybe you're here, you say, I've never experienced the peace of God. Or you say, I've drifted away from it, but I would like this Sunday morning to just say, uh, I receive Jesus Christ as my peace. I accept that my sins are forgiven. I accept my acceptance. I'm not going to fight against it. I accept God's love for me. And I accept that Jesus put away my sins. If you say, I want to be included, I'm going to pray in just a moment. If you say, I want to be included, Peter, as you pray, that I receive this, would you give me a signal all over this room if, by lifting your hand? If you say, Peter, include me in this prayer. I am going to, uh, I'm personally receiving this from God. His love is reaching out to you. This is your opportunity. Lift up your hand way up high right now. If you say, yes, I want to be included in this. Let me see your hand. God bless you over here. God bless you over here. God bless you over there. Let me look everywhere. Yes, over here. I see several of you, several of you. Wonderful. Can we just stand together for a moment all over this room right now? And I'm going to ask everybody, not only the people who lift your hands, but everybody, would you join in this prayer? Would you say like this with me? Would you say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I receive your love. I believe Jesus put away my sins. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I confess with my mouth Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Amen.